I'm sure many of you over the last couple of weeks have gotten into the Winter Olympics, and maybe you, like me, you're amazed at what some of these folks can do. I think some of my favorite events are the downhill skiing stuff. I just find it amazing that someone on a thin set of rails, on snow no less, would travel down a hill going 80 miles an hour and choose to do that. That's what they seem to enjoy, and they get done, and they're excited, and I, I, I have been skiing before. Anybody ever been skiing before? I, I've, I've been skiing a few times. I'm no good at it. And so I'm, I'm extremely amazed by what they can do. I, I also find the figure skating very, very entertaining. I'm not much of a figure skater myself, so it's amazing to me that somebody can do all of that on skates. I would struggle not to pull something just walking around trying those things, and they're jumping and so on. I saw last night, by the way, I was watching the, the final, I guess, exhibition for all the figure skating. Some of you may have caught that late last night. And there was a, a a performance basically from everybody who had skated, and and it didn't they weren't judged. It was just sort of an exhibition for the fans. And and there was one pair that got on the ice last night that had won the pair's gold medal. And they did a little special beforehand. Maybe you saw this. And this particular skating pair has been skating together since early childhood. And it was amazing. They had video, of course, from them when they were little kids and then all the way up. And then they won the gold medal this year. And last night was their last Olympic skate together. They have spent, the little special said, over 23,000 hours in practice. Now, I'm sure you've done something for 23,000 hours in your life, but I'm not sure I have one particular thing that, I, wow, I mean, that's just so amazing to me. And no wonder they're so good at it. They've spent that much time. The dedication that it takes to become proficient at anything, and certainly we see in the Winter Olympics, and of course in, in two years we'll see in the Summer Olympics, the, the dedication that it takes to become excellent and proficient and the best in the world at something is absolutely overwhelming to me. 23,000 hours. They have dedicated so much of their lives to that. If you want to know how you to become how can you, you can become proficient and really good at something, obviously, that's a pretty good example to follow. You've got to spend a lot of time doing it. And some of you have hobbies and other things like that that you've really poured yourself into. This morning, the guy that we're looking at, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to a church in Philippi, the letter we have is known as the letter to the Philippians, he's a guy who dedicated his life not to something, but to someone in much the same way, and even far and above, that those skaters have dedicated themselves to becoming proficient on the ice. The Apostle Paul is a guy whose life was given completely to Jesus Christ. And we'll see here some of the results today on what that did for him. Because Jesus was his life, what we'll see is the results. And so I want you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, or you've got your little outline sheet there, or can somehow get to the Scripture this morning. Look in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll focus this morning on verses 12 to 19. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 19. Here's what Paul writes to this church. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, 
Some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Catch you up to speed real quick. Paul was the first and greatest Christian missionary the world has ever known. And he planted churches all over Asia and Europe as it was known at the time. And one of the churches that he started about 10 years before he wrote this letter was in a very important city in Eastern Europe known as Philippi. There were not many even Jewish people there, certainly no believers in Christ there before Paul went. And he establishes this church as people give their lives to Jesus. And now he's reflecting on some gifts that they had given him and he's writing them in response to let them know how he's doing and to say thanks for their support for him. And so he's letting them in a little bit on what's going on with him. It's a very personal letter. Paul is, is very, very encouraged by the Philippians. He loves them very much. And so he's telling them a little bit about how he's doing. Paul's one focus, as you can see, this is really the beginning of the, the body of the letter. What he's done so far, this is our fourth sermon in this series, he's done so far is introduce himself just to remind them that, look, it's not about me, church. I'm an apostle of Jesus, but first and foremost, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. not about me, it's about him. And then we saw he just tells them how much he loves them a special relationship that this pastor, founding pastor, had with the church. And then last week we looked at the fact that he was praying for them and, and he wanted them to focus on what matters most. And now we really get into the bulk of his letter and, and really what he's going to try to help them understand. And so, so what, what was the most important thing as we see here to Paul was that the message of Jesus would keep moving forward. That's really what Paul's life was all about, that it would keep moving forward. And so really what he's saying to the church by way of his example is, Dear church, just keep the message moving forward. That's the theme of his life, and he wants it to be the theme for their church, which is why he gives this example. He's updating them. They were concerned about his safety, concerned about his well-being. And he says, look, nothing matters to me except that the message keeps moving forward. Now, some important stuff to know about Paul. Paul was not superhuman. I think in, in many Christian circles today, we hear of the Apostle Paul, and if you are familiar with the Bible in any way, you know that he wrote half of the New Testament. And so we equate him sometimes with sort of, sort of on a, a, a maybe a little higher level than us, not quite as high as Jesus, but somewhere in between. And we give Paul sort of a godlike status, though he's not really God, he's something more than us, and obviously he is, because how, how, how else could you, could you write half the New Testament? Would you know Paul, by his own admission was a sinner, just like you and me. So when you read these words today, it's not coming from some angel that was sent from heaven who was different from us. It's coming from someone just like you and me who knew he needed Jesus Christ. And so Paul was made of the same stuff. He's human. But it's his commitment to Jesus that makes him stand out. You want to know what was so special about Paul? It was his absolute devotion to Jesus Christ. It was the fact that he was a slave of Jesus. And Paul, because of that, keeps the message moving forward at all costs, even at great cost to himself, for reasons that we'll see today. 
One of the major themes of Paul's letter to the Philippians is joy and, and rejoicing. Paul, if you, if you will remember, is chained while he's writing to a Roman soldier. He's not free. And yet the theme of his letter is rejoicing. I don't know what your theme would be if you were not free, if life was really difficult for you, but I I seriously doubt in many cases if the first word coming out of our mouth would be something having to do with rejoicing. Probably we would see things a little different. Paul is a great example for us to follow of someone whose life was so dedicated to Jesus that even in rotten circumstances, joy dominated his thoughts. I find that amazing. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to go right over your head and say, well, Paul must have been something a little different from me because he has joy in this circumstance that that I never could. Paul just simply understands that when a life is given to Jesus, that joy is inherent. Joy is always there. So Paul's life here is bent on keeping the message moving forward, and as a result, he has incredible joy. The reason, as we'll see next week, In Paul's own words, in verse 21, the reason is that Jesus was not just a part of Paul's life. Jesus was his life. Now, I know that some of you have said, well, you know what? Uh, This year, beginning this year in January, I I decided I was going to get my priorities straight. It was going to be God and then others and then me. Let me tell you something. That's all wrong. Now, I know that that's traditional and we like that, but it's not to be God and then and then. It is to be God in every single thing. It's not God and then we check Him off and then we move on to something else and then next week we come back, well, I'll put God first this week again. It is God in everything. That's Paul's secret to life. It's Jesus in everything. So I want you to know this morning that leaving here, you don't have to go and quit your job. You don't have to go and sell everything and and become a hermit so that Jesus can be your life and your life alone. That's not what we're talking about. That's not who Paul was. Paul was out in the world. He was out doing things. He went about his business, and you can too. And so it's Jesus being your life, not Jesus just as a part, or even, as you might say, first in your life. Here's what I'd like for you to do. You'll see on your bulletin, uh, or, or actually on the little handout, it's real simple this morning. The, the outline is not very long. And so I, I, you, you're going to struggle. I'm going to give you something you can write down and spend some time with. All right? You'll see there there's a, there's a blank on the very first line. Now, that blank will not appear. I just tell you, it will not appear on the screen. So, Daniel, don't pull it up. Okay? You're not going to let the cat out of the bag here. I want you, for that blank to consider for just a moment some things that you really... Now, here here are some options that you could put in that blank. Maybe it's something you really like to do. Maybe it's it's a hobby that you really enjoy. Or it's something you, you dream about, an ambition or a goal that you might have. Or it's a need... You say, I, I, this is something that, that I'm focused on right now. Ultimately, what you're going to fill in that blank is something that right now seeming, that seems to dominate your life. You're spending a lot of time doing that. It may not be bad. You don't have to apologize right now. But just something that you say, you know what, I, I'm really kind of consumed by this right now, good, bad, or otherwise. This is my focus in life. It may be a hobby, a need, a relationship, a dream, a goal, uh, something that you're devoted to, whatever it may be. Here's what we're going to learn from Paul. 
He was bent on keeping the message moving forward because he was a slave of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was his life. We'll focus on exactly what he says here in just a moment. But the opposite of what we get from Paul is the first little thing that you'll be filling in there. The idea is this. Any of those things that you just wrote down, or that are in your mind right now, if any of those are your life, now Daniel, now's the time you can pull this up and we'll let the cat out of the bag now. If any of those things, if that blank is your life, then anything can steal your joy. Now I told you you wouldn't have to apologize. I'm not going to make you apologize for enjoying something this morning. If you're a fisherman and you're getting excited because it's getting close, it's okay. You don't have to apologize this morning. If you have a hobby, if you, if you have something you enjoy doing, maybe it's for a living or whatever it may be, I'm not going to ask you to apologize this morning, but I do want to tell you that if any of those things are your life, and that is the sum of who you are, that is your identity, then anything and everything is going to steal your joy. And it happens so easily. Let me tell you what it looks like. I, I saw for five years as a youth pastor, young people who made relationships their lives and they went just like this. Boy, when that person likes them, I mean, when they're dating that particular person or their friends are all on their side or whatever, man, they are riding high. Life is great. And parents, if you've got any young people living in your home, you know this. The next day it all changes because somebody said something. Somebody didn't look at them. Somebody broke up with them. And man, they just hit rock bottom. Why? Well, in some ways, it's maturity. We understand that this is a growth pattern. But in some ways, it's because we easily allow relationships to be our life. And when things are going well in our relationships, even some of us older folks need to admit, when things are going well, we're great. And when things don't go so well, we hit rock bottom. Why? Because it's stolen our joy. Because we've made that our lives. Now, I'll say this for a modern audience... And those who may or may not be younger, I don't know. But I have noticed that social media can be a life for some of us. Some of us, I will not say that all of us, but some of us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever we might be on, Instagram and so on, we live and die with the comments we receive. We post something on there and you know good and well all you're doing is trying to get a response. Now listen, I'm going to tell you because I've done the same thing. All we want is to see, will somebody click like? Will somebody comment? Will somebody retweet what I've done? Will, will somebody favorite my tweet? I just want to see if people are going to respond positive, positively to me. And when they do, man, you think you're something. All right, I got it now, boy. Oh, man, I got, I got a thousand friends on Facebook. You don't know any of them. I got a thousand friends on Facebook. I got 500 followers on Twitter. Never met half of them. I got 500 followers on Twitter. You know, when that stuff is your life, guess what happens when nobody clicks favorite or retweet or like or posts a comment? There you go. Now, I, I know that may sound sort of silly to some, but isn't it true? We've been there. We know how that is. You know, I, I, I see folks trying to climb vocational or social ladders. And when work is going well, man, it's great. Things don't go so well, bottom falls out. I have the privilege these days of working with the Murray State baseball team a little bit. I'll be out there this afternoon, as a matter of fact. And 
Those guys I know all struggle with making baseball their life. I've been there. I'm still there. I understand. Boy, when you go four for four and you hit three line drives and and you you drive in four or five runs and man, life is great. Paper wants to interview you and your pictures there and all that stuff and people remember you and you're setting records. Hey, man, it is it's great. And then the next day comes and somehow that guy makes you go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and you look like you've never played baseball in your life. And you're ready just to go crawl in your locker and not come out for a week or two. That's the way it is. If baseball is your life, if anything else is your life, then anything can steal your joy. Any circumstance can steal your joy because it will change. Any person can steal your joy because they're sinful and they'll hurt you and they'll abandon you and they will do things that aren't right. The things you have in your mind or you have written down aren't inherently sinful. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with a need or a relationship or a hobby or any of the things that you may have in mind. But when they are your life, then we're in trouble. Then we have no lasting joy. Even Paul did not build his life on being a missionary. Paul built his life on being a slave of Jesus Christ. And so even when he's not able to be out doing his missionary work, he still has joy because that stuff wasn't his life. Jesus was. If anything else is your life, then anything will steal your joy. Paul's, Paul's main focus was to keep the message moving forward because he knew what the lesson he'll teach us today is that if Jesus is your life, the very next thing there on your outline, if Jesus is your life, then nothing can steal your joy. Paul's thing was, let's keep the message moving forward. That's what's most important because Jesus is my life and I don't care about circumstances and I don't care about people because when he's my life and the message keeps moving forward, nothing can steal my joy. You see Paul get very personal here. Look at the first part. There's no circumstance that could steal his joy. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... You realize that what had happened to Paul was more than just a summary like that? Well, you know, a few things had gone wrong. Some things had happened. Paul, in the course of his lifetime, would face beatings and ridicule and imprisonment and shipwreck. He was stoned at one point, people throwing rocks at him, trying to kill him. That's what he faced. And all he sums it up with, well... This stuff that's happened, these, these things that have gone on in my life, you think that if Paul were focused on those circumstances, if that was his life, that he would say, let me tell you what's happened to me. If folks, if I, if I could, let me just vent for a few minutes. I'll get back to what God wants you to hear in just a second, but let me just vent for a while, Philippians. Paul just sums it up and says, you know what? Here are the things that have happened and here's the result. I find it really interesting. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach. He wound up being there as a prisoner. And yet God was in it. What does he say? I know that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Here's why circumstances could not steal Paul's joy. Because he saw Jesus in them. When Jesus is your life, whatever happens to you becomes minimized. Paul just says these things that have happened. When Jesus is your life, circumstances are still very real, but not as real as Jesus is to you. When Jesus is your life, nothing can steal your joy, not even the worst of circumstances, because first you'll see Jesus in them. Now, we'll say in fairness, 
This is a process. You don't have to walk away guilty today because, well, I'm up and down right now. Circumstances are just really, really getting to me. And I guess if I'm supposed to be the Christian I'm supposed to be, then I just need to be unaffected by everything. Praise God, everything's all right. That's not what Paul's doing. You don't have to walk away feeling guilty. This is a process, but I do want to ask you, what would it feel like? What would it feel like to not be so affected by changing circumstances in your life? What would it feel like to have a different perspective, to focus on what really matters, to see God working in all of it? What would that feel like to you? Some say I have no idea. I've never experienced that. This isn't about saying that painful circumstances are good. Paul says there is good that comes from suffering, and he counted a blessing to be counted as worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. But he never comes out and says, well, all this stuff is great. All this stuff has gone wrong, and I'm so glad that it did. Paul's not delusional. He's human. But he understands that God was working in them, and when you see Jesus in your circumstances then those circumstances can't steal your joy. He goes on in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Jesus Christ. When when Jesus is your life, not only will you see Him working in all the circumstances, but you'll talk about Him in all circumstances. Everybody knew that Paul was different. He's no ordinary prisoner. He wouldn't shut up about Jesus. He's not trying to say, get me out of here. He's just telling all the guards that have to guard him about Jesus, his Savior. And it's evident that Paul says it's spreading like wildfire, that the whole imperial guard knows about it. Everybody else knows that I'm here because of Jesus, and I'm not going to stop talking about him. I wonder how ordinary are you and I in our difficult circumstances? When things go wrong, what's our first word? When things go wrong, what do we talk about at home, at school, at work, on that team, wherever? Paul talked about Jesus. That was it. That's what he talked about. Because Jesus was his life, and no circumstance, not even jail time, could steal his joy. And God used him to keep the message moving forward even there. Paul was used to take the gospel to places it had never been, and God had to take him places he didn't want to go for that message to continue. That's a tough one. I wonder what our reason is for not talking about Jesus in all of our circumstances. Is it fear? Is it embarrassment? You know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that lady, you know. I wonder what it is. What keeps us from talking about Jesus In all of our circumstances, just even casual conversation, I wonder, could it be in some cases that Jesus isn't truly our life? We don't see Him in it, so we don't talk about Him in it. Verse 14, Paul goes on, Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. When Jesus is your life, not only will you see Him working, not only will you talk about Him, but you'll inspire others in the process. Now, we all love inspirational stories. Now, you've seen those, I'm sure, and you say, oh, that's so incredible. You see the person who's overcome so much, so much difficulty in childhood or a disability or whatever it may be, and they keep on keeping on. We're inspired by that. Paul was that for other believers. He was the inspiration. They saw him and they were inspired by his courage. 
But see, if He can do it, then surely I can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. They saw Him in prison. They were inspired to know that we've got to pick up the slack and keep the message moving forward where Paul can't take it right now. Paul was an inspiration. Many began to speak more fearlessly about Jesus because they realized they had a great example in Paul. And for people living in a very ungodly world in which they didn't feel safe, that was powerful encouragement, and it still is today. We may not have the Apostle Paul living with us anymore, but we have folks both in our midst and around the world that are brothers and sisters in Christ who face very similar circumstances. Hard for us to imagine. Some of us can never even get our minds around the fact that in some parts of our world, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus who are being tortured and killed for their faith, being imprisoned because they will not renounce the name of Jesus. That should give us inspiration here in America where we have freedom to do those things, to speak even more fearlessly. And it is to our shame that we don't. When there are those around the globe who say, I will not recant, no matter what you do to me, and we recoil and we say, I don't want to be that guy. Boy, what an inspiration Paul was for these believers who may face the same kinds of fear and the same hesitation. And we look around the world and we say, let's take inspiration from those folks and let's be the inspiration for others. Let me tell you this, our young people need inspiration to live for Jesus. And they're not going to get it from anybody but their brothers and sisters in Christ. They need it from us. Never underestimate, when you live for Jesus in a world that doesn't like Jesus, never underestimate the inspiration that can be for those young people living in your home, for the young people here in this church, for the young people that you have influence over, even if you don't know it. They need us. When Jesus is your life, circumstances cannot steal your joy. And Paul goes on to tell us that neither can people... You realize there are going to be people who make life miserable for you. Paul knows. Verse 15, look at it. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife. And then look at verse 17. These, he goes on, say they proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. Now, I'm not sure who we can equate Paul to other than maybe, say, Billy Graham with that kind of fame and popularity among Christians. Paul was sort of, he was a rock star, if you will, not to be blasphemous, but he was that guy that people just loved and they, 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 they followed him. And yet, just like Jesus Christ, Paul couldn't please everybody. He wasn't worried about pleasing everybody. And he knew that people were going to be against him. Now, you would think that somebody like that, who's in it for all the right reasons, who's doing what God wants him to do, who has no false motives whatsoever, who's living for Jesus, you would think somebody like that would be above criticism. Especially from other Christians. And Paul says there are people even within the family of God who don't like me. He faced opposition from those outside the church, and now he talks about facing it from other Christians. They, these folks were preaching about Jesus, but their main motivation was to steal the limelight and to steal joy from Paul. They're glad he's off the scene. Because he'd been dominating everything and they hadn't been getting any attention. Now I wish this weren't still true. But I have seen it. You have seen it. Squabbles among church people. Over who gets the most attention. Over whose Sunday school class is bigger. 
over who gets more budget money, squabbles between pastors over whose church is bigger and more influential and all that stuff. And, and we secretly, sometimes we like the fact when somebody else has something difficult that comes up so now we can get more attention. It's, it's not something that's going away. Paul says, look, I know these folks are doing this stuff for all the wrong reasons. They're just trying to make my life miserable. But not even those folks who made life miserable for him or for you can steal your joy when Jesus is your life. And and Paul also mentions those who support him. Look at the end of verse 15. Others preach out of goodwill. Verse 16. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul has people that support him. It's not that everybody is against him, but you know what's interesting to me? is Paul simply acknowledges that there are two different camps here, some people who like him, some people who don't. And neither one is going to be a distraction from what his life is to be about, and that is Jesus Christ and the joy he can receive. Not even the people that are in it with him. He doesn't stop to revel in the fact that there are fans of his. He doesn't allow that to be what now dominates his life and what could ultimately steal his joy, even if those folks became against him. People for Paul did not steal his joy. Because when Jesus is your life, nothing can steal your joy so long as the message keeps moving forward. Look at verse 18. What does it matter? Paul looks at these folks and says, You got some who are preaching Jesus because they don't like me, others who are preaching Jesus, and we're all on the same team. He says, What difference does it matter? make. Just that in every way, here's what he says, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. It's not that these motives didn't matter to Paul. We have to understand that. He didn't like it. He's not condoning the fact that you can do something for the wrong reasons and and still somehow be be pure in that. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is ultimately the gospel matters more. The fact that the message advances is far more important than whether or not these folks like Paul. And for whatever reason they're doing it, he's just happy and rejoicing that the message keeps going forward. That's what his life was about. This is an amazing perspective. It is a perspective of someone whose life is Jesus Christ. This isn't the perspective of someone who's just a good church member. This isn't someone who's, who's just a person who occasionally will dip into God's Word or throw up a prayer when things get difficult. This is a man whose life was consumed with Jesus Christ. And what a great example for us to follow. That no matter what, nothing could steal his joy. Just so long as the message keeps moving forward, Paul can deal with anything, any circumstance, any person. And it's the forward message of the gospel that Paul says he rejoiced in then and would continue to rejoice in because as we see in verse 19, he knew he was on the winning side and he would ultimately find victory. Yes, and I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. Everything that he's known circumstantially and relationally is different. And yet he still rejoices because when Jesus is your life, nothing can steal your joy. You may or may not believe that this morning. I want you to know God wants you to experience it. Not just to think that it's true, but to experience it in your life. How do I do that? 
Complete surrender to Jesus. Jesus Himself would say in Luke chapter 9, What good is it if you gain everything this world has to offer you? If you reach the top in the mountain in your field, if you win the gold medal, if you set all the records, if you get exactly what you've always wanted, what good is that, He says, if in the process and ultimately you forfeit your soul? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is there is no good in it. You've lived only for now and only for yourself and you've given up everything for all eternity. The great thing about Jesus is that when He comes into your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that all those other things now go away. What happens is now they're all channeled to the glory of God. And now you get a different perspective. And now your life is about Jesus Christ. And those things you do every day, now nothing can steal your joy because that's no longer your identity. Jesus and He alone is. What good is it to spend 23,000 hours doing something if your life is not Jesus Christ? If Jesus is not your life? All you've done is win a gold medal. What good is it if you rise to the top of your industry, if you make all A's, if you do everything perfectly, if people think you're great, and yet your life was never given to Jesus Christ, and for all eternity you forfeit your soul, and on earth you thought you had it all together, and Jesus just says, don't miss it. There is but one way to eternal life with Jesus, and that is through the cross. You've heard the message over and over today in song, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The old rugged cross. Ultimately, we have those 10,000 reasons to celebrate the Lord because of what He's done. God's offer of salvation and forgiveness is free, and it's only received by faith in Him. This morning, I want to ask you, what is your life? Who is your life? Is it Jesus? Have you surrendered to Him? By faith, trusting Him alone for salvation, confessing your sin to Him, and giving it all to Him alone. If He is your life, you have joy both now and for all eternity. If He is not your life, you've only got what this world has to offer you, which lasts only as long as you're alive. And then, in the ultimate trick, it's stolen. And for all eternity, you're apart from Jesus Christ in hell. Jesus says it does you no good to gain everything this world has to offer and give up your soul. When Jesus is your life, nothing can steal your joy both now and forever. I pray and I beg you this morning. Do business with God. Do you truly know Jesus? Have you given your life to Him? Is He your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we we face the truth that That without you, we have forfeited everything. So Lord, I pray for those this morning who are wrestling with that. 
And pray, Lord, this morning would be the, the time when they say, I trust Jesus. I give my life to Him. I confess my sin. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord, we as individuals and as a church, we want You to be our life. Not just so we can have greater joy, but Lord, so, so You can be glorified. Oh, we're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful as we'll sing in just a moment that You paid it all. Lord, we know we owe You everything, but we thank You for the free gift of salvation. Thank You for loving us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.